Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Dan Pellino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. Dan is an innovator, thought leader, and author. Dan is a regular contributor to discussions on healthcare, citizen-based services, smarter cities, and have appeared on shows such as Dr. Oz, CNN, Bloomberg, the BBC, and many other media outlets. He worked with IBM for over 36 years, leading its global in healthcare and life sciences. Dan, first off, it's an honor to have you, and welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So, Dan, I got to ask the question, or lead question always, can you describe your leadership style? Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I would really put it into three specific areas. Um, one is having a sense of purpose. So what, whatever the role, responsibility, from uh, coaching girls soccer to running a $20 billion business, I think having a sense of purpose and establishing goals is absolutely right at the top. Um, I also feel that you have to bring to the table, if you're really going to be in a role of leadership, um, a contribution around strategy, operation, and then understanding the culture. And then last but not least, uh, having a level of empathy, um, being able to understand situations, working with people, and uh, and bringing out the best in people. So that sense of purpose, a commitment around operation strategy and culture, and then uh, to have that level of empathy, I, that that's really been what I've been all about and what I've been responsible for. You've received many awards for your leadership, especially in the area of healthcare. Um, you know, so many things are going on today. Tell us what is really needed in leadership in healthcare today and any stories that you might have about some of the, the big challenges that we're facing today. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that are really important in healthcare. We're going through a significant transformation right now, and it, it centers on three areas, uh, integrated care, care, and then value-based care. So let me explain a little bit. Integrated care is the combination of physical care and mental and behavioral health. That's, that's so important today, not just physical care, but mental and behavioral health. Uh, comprehensive care is team care, is being able to have a medical home, uh, not just a, a doctor per se, but to actually RNs, PAs, et cetera, that, that care for you and that you feel are part of your team. And then value-based care is really about well care and staying well and how you pay for that and being able to do a better job of having a good quality of life. Those three areas, integrated care, comprehensive care, and value-based care are are right at the top of the list of things that are most important today in in healthcare leadership. So, Dan, uh, have you faced any obstacles uh, and had to get through it with applying that kind of philosophy on on what's needed today in leadership it's interesting that you say that because i believe that oftentimes the obstacles uh, end up being in roughly three areas one can you can you sell the idea is it a fundamental change 
And a number of years ago, we moved forward with the idea of the patient-centered medical home, the medical home concept, being able to have team care and being able to have a physician-based organization that would call you to be able to have you bring on your, your physical, your exams, being able to reach out for your mammograms, being able to make sure that your medications, including what's over the counter, are all appropriate. That idea of having a medical home, uh, Dr. Paul Grundy, who I write about in the book, and I started that in 2006. So a significant obstacle was to, to get people to believe in that idea of, of having a, a, a medical home concept. And we worked, we worked hard. We worked with uh, leaders around the world. Uh, we worked with, at the time, President Obama. Um, Michelle Obama was very involved with that. And, uh, and we did the same thing in the, universe, the uh, UK and uh, other countries around the world. And it's certainly taken off, and it's something that's really important. So having that idea, the obstacle was, all right, what is this good idea and what is the benefit to, to people, to individuals, and why should we do it? And I think that at the top of the list was one of the obstacles that we faced in, in the fundamental change that we brought forward to healthcare. So you've worked with some great leaders, especially in, in the realm of healthcare. Do any great leaders come to mind and important lessons that you learned along the way? It sounds fascinating with some of the folks that you worked with. Well, I do write about Dr. Paul Grundy and what he's done around the medical home concept. Uh, he literally traveled around the world and was the leader. And uh, his, his voice today is the most respected around primary care, the idea of the medical home, the extension of care to RNs, PAs, et cetera. Uh, Dr. Grundy is just an amazing individual that has uh, met with people like Nelson Mandela. He's met with world leaders. And he's really been the champion of the idea of the, of the medical home. I think about other people like Dr. Mike Roizen from Cleveland Clinic. Uh, Oprah calls him her enforcer. He has spent a career uh, helping people around wellness. He has 14 books, four of them bestsellers um, off the New York Times bestselling list. And I think what Mike's done around wellness and trying to help individuals look at their life uh, his most recent book around life expectancy is uh, is really amazing. And then uh, Dr. Glenn Steele and, and what he has done within the industry around healthcare delivery systems. Uh, he's most noted for what he did in Geisinger Medical, which is in Northern Pennsylvania, but he has since retired and he's on a number of boards. His ability to bring the strategy along with the operation and make a difference to the community that he serves uh, is really a role model, I believe, for CEOs and others that are in healthcare to see uh, how you bring all those together. So Dr. Grundy, Dr. Roizen, and Dr. Glenn Steele are right at the top of the list for me. So how did you, you can really hear the passion in your voice, Dan. How did you develop this passion to fix our healthcare system? That's not, not a small order. Yeah, first, first of all, I was honored to work uh, with IBM, and IBM likes grand challenges. And I uh, had a career where I'd done many different things. And at the time, our CEO, Sam Pomizano, called me up and said, hey, we want you to uh, think about running this healthcare 
business for us because in the past, IBM had hired PhDs and medical doctors to, to run the group. I'm a behavioral science person. I think how people think. I look to try and create value through I look in the gaps and do things differently. So the idea to try and do the medical home, we brought together organizations, we brought together pharma organizations, we brought together insurance companies. Why? Because they all had an impact to how care was delivered for an individual. And we centered all of our thinking about trying to make a difference in people's lives. And, and every day I get up and that's what I think about, making a difference in, in, in people's lives. And I had this opportunity to work with IBM and the wonderful resources and the tremendous partners. And I had a chance then to go around the world and meet with these great leaders and help them with their vision and, and talk to them. It really helped that I was not a hospital system. I wasn't pharma and I wasn't an insurance company. I was a trusted voice that could come in and help them deliver on the value to make a difference for people. It goes back to your theme of your number one item for your, um, leadership principles, which is a sense of purpose. It sure does. You know, and I think that's so important in anything that you do. I will tell you, I coached girls soccer for 26 years and we played at a very high level. Um, what I was most proud of is how those players played on the field, how the parents cheered and how we coached and the ability to have that level of sportsmanship I think it was a lasting impact on these young women that I was blessed to coach for, for 26 years. Uh, I often tell people everything I learned, I learned from coaching girls soccer. If you love what you do, uh, I, what is the saying? If you love what you do it's, and you have that passion, it's not a job, right? Exactly. You're so right. I'm speaking with Dan Pellino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. After the break, we'll hear Dan's view on one thing we need to change in our healthcare system. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Dan Polino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. Dan, you wrote a book called Trusted Healers. Tell us about it and why you authored it. Yeah, thank you. I I wasn't really thinking about writing a book. I had retired from IBM and actually at the retirement party, an individual that I had a lot of respect for by the name of Bud Ramey, who was my co-author, came up to me and he said, Dan, your work's not done. You have to tell the story of the places you've been, the people that you've seen, the impact that these individuals have had. You've had a front seat to changing healthcare, not just in the United States, but around the world. And, uh, and he convinced me that we, we, sh we should write a book. And, uh, and so I then went back to 40 some odd leaders that I had met through my time around the world. I went to my good friend uh, and someone that I respect immensely, Patrick Kennedy, uh, Congressman Patrick Kennedy, to write the foreword and to help me think about mental and behavioral health. And then we decided to have the book stand up with three pillars, healthcare, 
leadership and societal change. And, and we wrote the book with one thing in mind. I've got to tell you what that one thing is. When I was a young boy and I would go to bed at night, there was a book my parents had bought me for Christmas. It was a big book. It was a book that had pictures, but it also had on every page something written about the 100 greatest athletes of the time. I would go to bed. I would read about Joe DiMaggio. I would go to bed and read about Athea Gibson. I would go to bed and read their stories. And it was just a great way for me to transform and think about, boy, weren't those wonderful people? Didn't they make a difference in sports? Because I was a young boy. I'm eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. It was a blue book that I had, and I put it the same place every night, and I would read one, two, three, or four until I fell asleep. I wanted to write a book like that book that I read when I was a child. And so we went back and we interviewed 40-plus leaders in healthcare, and they told their story about how they made a difference and what they think healthcare should look like and why they did what they did. So I, I wrote the book because someone said, you have a story to tell. I, I remembered back when I was just a young, young boy, a book that really mattered to me, and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to write a book where each chapter stood on its own, where you could take something back and maybe, just maybe, we would encourage, we would excite, we would help someone find a way that they could be written about in the next book. Wow, you, you talked to a lot of incredible people. It must have been sort of like a spa day for the mind, every single person you interviewed. You probably learned a, a lot from each one. So I got to ask you a key question. If you had the power to change just one thing in our healthcare system today, what would it be? So I'd like to answer that question with not just one thing, but maybe a couple of things that I'd like to change. The first is I would like us to listen better to our communities. I would like us to listen to the whispers. I actually spoke about this in 2016 at the State of the Union um, in mental health and addiction. This was part of my address then. And I chose this Native American proverb that was attributed to both the Dakota and the Cherokee nations. It, it was important for me as I had read about this proverb because I think this is important to all of us. And that is, listen to the whispers so we don't have to hear the screams. You see, I, I actually imagined a campfire where listeners nodded in agreement with the ranking elder as the elder told them about different aspects and a fire snapped and sparks flew and there was quiet. And, and someone was listening to to the whispers. Obviously, today, when you think about listening to the whispers, are we listening to gun control? Are we listening to mental and behavioral health 
issues? Are we listening to infectious disease? Are we listening to those whispers so we don't have to hear the screams? Now, I've got to say, I thought I, thought I was uh, really smart about picking that proverb. And then when I wrote the book, I found out that on May 25th in 2011, Oprah Winfrey, in her final regular television show, she said the same thing. She said, whispers are always messages. And if you don't hear the message, the message turns into a problem. And if you don't handle the problem, the problem turns into a crisis. And if you don't handle the crisis, a disaster. Your life is speaking to you. What is it saying? You have to listen to the whispers. So I believe listening right now is, is very important. And as we listen, I think it should guide us in what we do. And then the next aspect is access for all. Access around mental and behavioral health and physical health. And, and as we go forward, the better we can do around supporting primary care, RNs, PAs, individuals, the front door to healthcare, the best we can do to allow people to get the best type of care early and often, as opposed to having it become an acute or emergency situation, is in fact the most important thing that our society can offer today. Access to care up front, the front door of care. Now you bring up a very important subject, um, mental health. And um, there's a lot of stress in our nation right now. You, know, you brought up gun control, you brought up, uh, and at the end of the day, the, the bottom, the floor that drops out every single time comes down to mental health. It's somebody who didn't get the care early, didn't seek the care early. Um, what do you think we can do to help, you know, especially our healthcare workers and our caregivers to help get these people? Because a lot of times they won't go for help, right? They, even if we had the best health on the planet, some of those folks may not be recognized that they need help. So how, what, what can we do to help change that dynamic and, and make it socially acceptable to, and, and just a norm to go get help around mental health? And, and uh, I'm going to get the second part of the question is we don't have enough, but let's answer that second. You, you are so right. So um, I, I want to just share a little bit of a story. So if, if you were to come with me to a meeting where a CEO is being interviewed by someone and the interviewee uh, is, is ready to answer different questions and ask questions and have the conversation. And the question the first question is, how do you feel about stress? The CEO would look at the person asking the question, and most likely he, but it could be a she, but most likely a he, previous days gone by. They would respond something like this. Stress? Stress? What are you talking about? I create stress. I create stress for our people. Our people work better when I create stress. I don't have stress, I give stress. Fast forward to today, 
where studies show that workers indicate mental and behavioral health issues and stress occurs in 84% of the population. A level of empathy and how we work with people and understanding the challenges that we have is so important within mental and behavioral health. Now, working with Patrick Kennedy, we did three things that I think started to make a difference. First, we, we actually had insurance companies pay for mental and behavioral health visits. That wasn't always the case. We started to have primary care doctors refer to mental and behavioral health practitioners, individuals that needed help. And then we changed the electronic medical records so that the, in the electronic medical record, it is now captured if there's information regarding mental and behavioral health issues. In the past, it may have been captured in notes in the bottom, usually overlooked by someone that's looking for someone to give care. So those three changes that we made in the uh, 2012 to 2015 period really set the tone that said we should look at mental behavioral health as a very important aspect of not just individuals that show a problem, but start to ask the questions appropriately and get them to the right people. So the awareness on mental and behavioral health, if you go fast forward from the CEO that said stress, stress, I give stress, I create stress, to now a CEO would talk about empathy, work-life balance, being able to ensure that when people come together, that there's a purpose in what they're trying to do and that they go forward with making a difference. It's fundamentally different than what we saw 10, 15, 20 years ago. The, the challenge, of course, is that we've now grown up in the business. People have grown up in the business. And I think they saw what it was like with a stress-filled environment and realized that's not the kind of organization I want to lead. And I think that is so important to addressing mental and behavioral health issues, especially in the workforce. I'm speaking with Dan Polino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. Coming up next, we'll continue to discuss um, mental health in the U.S. today. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Dan Polino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. In the last segment, we talked about mental health and the need for management today to recognize the need for empathy, and to, to uh, lead differently. So at this stage of your career, what are your thoughts about managing versus leading in the healthcare environment? And, and, and what do you believe is different? Because mental health at the end of the day seems to be, again, a core of so many issues. Well, the first thing that I would offer to you is an understanding of how important it is that you have vertical skills and horizontal skills. Vertical skills would be a specialty for a doctor. Could be the profession of being a nurse. Could be an individual that drives a truck. The intersection, the horizontal skills gets into an understanding of culture, 
community, environment, and helping individuals make, make a difference in being able to manage work-life balance. And the more that you can expand that intersection, the more value is defined. And, and I think that is one aspect that can fundamentally make a difference. And, and that's what I try and help CEOs with today as I, as I talk to them, this intersection to define value for your employee, for your company, and for your community is so important. And the ability to apply that versus a, a, a theoretical talking point is, is absolutely paramount. The ability to define results because you've been able to expand that vertical and horizontal accesses to define value. And, and you can see it today. You, you, you see it in teams, you see it in organizations, um, and it's something that I believe is, is very important uh, for a leader as, as they're trying to make a difference with the organizations that they lead. As we talked about earlier, mental health at the end of the day seems to be at core at so many issues from addiction to homelessness. Um, you know, the, the government, plays a role in this and funding many things to include access to uh, mental health care for those who are less fortunate. If you were in charge, what should our government do to address this underlying real issue that we face today? I think there's a couple of things that our government's going to really need to pay attention to here. Um, and it's, it's not going to be easy, but hopefully uh, we'll address it. First of all, we do not have the appropriate resources in place, and we need to fundamentally change that. And we need to find a way to encourage people to become mental and behavioral health leaders, uh, practitioners, uh, all the way to, to, to their level of compensation, to uh, how they're educated, to how they're encouraged to, to participate. Uh, when you talk to the primary care leadership in our country, they say that by 2030, we're going to have a shortage of 33,000 primary care physicians. L let me just say that again. It, this is not my number. This comes from the primary care leaders. They believe they're going to be short 33,000 33, primary care doctors. So what that tells us is we need to find a way to encourage more people to go into primary care, but not only that, we need to encourage more RNs, more physician assistants, more team care, so that people can practice at the top of their educated license. And with that level of team care and encouraging more, we can start to address what will be a significant shortage. And that shortage isn't going to be just mental and behavioral health care experts and, and practitioners. It's going to be the traditional primary care docs. Um, and I think it's something that we need to really pay very close attention to. And then last but not least is access. We have to pay uh, very close attention to the front door of care and encourage more people to have a relationship with their doctor, with their medical home, 
with someone that can be their trusted healer. And that trusted healer ends up being a, a team, a team of individuals that have you at the center and we need to have access to those type of organizations where people have the right kind of care, the upfront care, the care that's associated with the front door of care, as opposed to laying the problem that we have at the doorstep of the emergency room. So what trends or innovations um, that can provide the greatest positive impact for healthcare today? I mean, we've talked a little bit about some of the fundamental, but are there innovations that can help, you know, actually bring that trusted healer concept forward a little bit? Well, in, in the private sector, we're seeing some unbelievable changes. So for instance, I, I mentioned to you earlier that we brought together insurance companies with hospital organizations and pharma. I'll, I'll just mention one company, United Health Group and, and Optum. They have transitioned from an insurance company to a value-based care organization. As a matter of fact, just recently, um, January 23rd, they announced that they added $4.9 billion to their bottom line in the fourth quarter. Uh, this is an organization that's $324 billion for 2022. And what have they done to expand? They've decided they wanted to be at the front door of care. So right now, uh, they, they spend a significant amount of money to educate RNs and PAs and to be a company that brings together not just insurance, but primary care, specialty care, surgical care. And, and they saw that as a 29% increase in revenue um, over year on year. So there's a business model here of an organization that's trying to not just be an insurance company, but be out in front to try and deliver care. And not only that, but they have been a leader in the idea of going to these value-based care organizations. Now, a lot of that is because they have a financial organization that's an underpinning of this. And the leading organizations that I think they're delivering the best care today have that combination, including organizations like Kaiser, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. I could go on and on of the large integrated delivery systems that combine the ability to have the best type of care with some type of insurance uh, or being able to help pay for it and have the right kind of seven by 24 access. And, and that's what we're seeing. And I, I look at Optum, uh, we're seeing the same thing out of uh, some of the other combinations that are out there as well. CVS and Aetna is another example that's going there with the CVS Minute Clinics. So that level of innovation on the private sector to try and help at the front door of care is showing up. And, and for those private organizations, it's showing up with not only creating value for individuals, but their bottom line is it's, it's working for them. Yeah, it, um, one of those um, insurance companies happen to be mine, and they're very proactive. They will give um, memberships to healthcare, you know, to, to work out, uh, you know, proactive and um, providing you access to lose weight or, you know, you know, like I said, work out in gyms. Um, they're getting, they're solving the problem before the problem becomes manifests itself. Um, so if, if you were uh, going to 
now look at the biggest challenge for the government and, and for the healthcare organizations post COVID-19. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, on the break, a little bit about the trend for vaccinations. And um, do you see a trend that is going to be a, a challenge for us in the aftermath of COVID-19? Well, I, I definitely think there's a, a, a challenge um, in the, the reason that we are going to see this challenge is because you think about who is your trusted healer and who is telling you to get all of these shots and are they going to work for you or not? Because it, it seems like every day there's another boost or something. This is where you need a primary care, a medical home, someone that's helping you think about this. Because at the end of the day, all healthcare is individual. And I think the more that we do around access and having people come to talk to their primary care or their RN or their PA about their vaccination, uh, the better off we'll be on what is needed by individuals and at what time period. So I, I did uh, have a chance to speak uh, with, with the government around the beginning of when we had the, the, the various shots and what populations would take them and which ones didn't. And, and I shared with them from a behavioral standpoint, if we got to 70% of the population um, having a shot, that would be that would be pretty good. Now, some people will argue that number was 85. Other people will argue that number's lower, but still we'll, we'll never get to a level where everyone takes a shot. Um, and, and maybe they shouldn't, it's up to that individual. But what's really important is that that individual has access to uh, someone that is trained to understand what's in the best interest of them as an individual and that they follow those protocols to a, a better quality of life and they focus on wellness and, and being able to be healthy uh, and, and go forward. We, we, we've seen the, the different aspects of what's important to individuals to live a long life and be, be happy and be successful and be well. There's still six things still that drive how well you're going to be. And it's blood pressure, your cholesterol, your glucose levels, your weight, your stress, and nicotine. And, and if you want to add in inoculations and shots, you can do that. But no matter what happens, you've got to get that blood pressure under control. You've got to pay attention to your cholesterol. You've got to look at your sugar or glucose levels. You got to pay attention to your weight. We've got to do a better job of managing stress, and and we really don't need nicotine in society. And at the end of the day, those really make a significant difference in the quality of a life. So that seems very logical to me, right? Uh, and that means that somebody has somebody that they feel is a trusted healer. Uh, I'm going to turn this around for a minute and ask this question another way today. We have so many voices in our ear through social media and um, different channels. And I, I almost want to call it angertainment um, that takes the other side of the equation on some of these issues, which drives people a wedge in, in 
and maybe against what their trust, who they should be trusting healer. I, you know, I don't know, but how do we change the thought process of America to actually embrace what you're talking about? Because that seems very logical to me, but clearly not everybody's following that. Such a good point. And and in the book, I talk about societal change. Um, And actually in the Bible, the number 40 is referenced more than any other number, believe it or not. Um, And the reason why is because 40 at the time represented a generation. Now, I can give you all sorts of interesting examples of how society changed over 40 years. For instance, 1928, the first movie uh, acclaimed uh, about air flight was called Wings. What was the name of the movie? You know, 40 years later, we put a man on the moon. Uh, That same period of time, 1968, we lose Martin Luther King. Uh, He's assassinated. 40 years later, we elect Barack Obama as the first black president. Uh, I can give you chapter and verse on how society looks at fundamental changes. Today, as you mentioned, we have many of these things coming at us at a far greater rate than ever before. So it becomes important that a trusted healer helps you. Someone in the medical profession is helping you think about what is right and the best way to do this. Over time, we had a a grandmother, an aunt, or someone in the family that no matter what the doctor would say, that person would say, no, you're going to drink my chicken noodle soup and you're going to put Vicks vapor rub, you know, on your chest and you're going to go to bed and you're going to wake up and that cold's going to be gone. Um, Today, we'd probably still do that, but we'd probably also call our primary care doc and say, can I have a televisit or can I have a conversation? Is this the right approach of what I'm doing? I think that as individuals, we need to decide what is best for us and with the people that are around us to try and encourage having that trusted voice and not chase new fads, not chase something that just doesn't seem right, not chase something that isn't grounded within either a family structure, people that you trust, and for sure from a medical professional. You're listening to Leaders in London Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Dan Pellino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. Next, we'll find out what Dan's advice is to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking to Dan Polino, co-founder of Everyone Matters and co-author of Trusted Healers. So, Dan, before we get started in talking about advice to the next generation, I got to ask you the question, you know, tell us about every everybody matters and and why did you co-found them what does that mean it's interesting that you ask what does it mean because uh the title of the company was really meant to have everyone feel like they matter and and it happens to be in areas that that we thought made a difference so healthcare, education government aspects of society And we wanted to be able to have people have a voice to be able to be heard and then try and influence 
aspects of society that would make a difference for individuals. And so we created a, a company where we help organizations and individuals understand what their options are, what they can do. We try and champion different aspects like in the book, Trusted Healers Champion Primary Care, the Front Door of Care. Um, education, we champion the idea that education for life, not just for years of college or a trade school, but how do you think about education differently than, than we have uh, heretofore? And, uh, and different aspects of government, the very questions that you've asked me today. What should government do? How should they focus on making a difference and the impact? And, um, and, and this organization was created off of experience from around the world, working with the best of the best, trying to see what would happen. And we still stay connected to those people and, and try and influence where we can and, uh, and make a difference for the better. So if you were a listener out there and, and wanted help in these areas, could they go to Everyone Matters and, and get some services or is there a website or, I mean, how do you, how do you implement so, those goals? Yeah, so uh, everyonemattersonline.com is a website and, and we, we post things that we're reading and uh, uh, keep track of that and communicate with people. And then people can find me directly if they need to. Uh, I, I don't have any problems with individuals reaching out to me. Um, and that's as easy as my name, uh, Dan Polino at gmail.com. And if somebody has something that they want me to think about or uh, help them do. I've been uh, teaching leadership for over 30 years. Uh, and I've been teaching at a uh, postgraduate level. So, so I've, I get into very interesting conversations with people that want to pursue thinking in this particular discipline uh, around everyone matters and uh, i find it certainly encouraging and uh, um, i'm excited by the individuals that are coming forward saying that they want to make a difference uh, in 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 society today and i really enjoy having those conversations in 2024, there's going to be another presidential election. There may be a new president in the office. Um, what advice would you offer to career government and healthcare executives as they navigate, you know, for sure, some of the changes that are coming and the needs for the healthcare today? Because, you know, uh, politicians come and go, but it's the middle layer that really holds down the fort. What would be your advice to them? Well, first of all, uh, I think it's important that they they listen. Uh, everyone comes into a responsibility and a level of accountability with opinions. That middle area that you talk about, especially for government employees and organizations that support government that are not tied to an election, really do have uh, wonderful ideas and and things that should be done. And I would encourage those conversations with those people that really don't have a dog in the fight other than to make a difference. And I would look to mentor those people 
I would love to encourage those people um, and I would look to connect those people. One of the aspects that you and I have talked about today is this idea of having the patient in the middle of healthcare, the patient-centered medical home. You shared that you have an insurance company that's proactive, that's helping you think about these things as far as how your wellness is. This was not the way it was when we started this journey in, uh, in 2006, 2010. This is what has changed the last 10, 12 years where we're now focused on the patient at the center of healthcare, which includes pharma insurance companies and healthcare organizations. That is the conversation that our leaders should have with the people that see this day in and day out and then encourage more resources, encourage more access, and encourage more participation. And that's what I would share with whoever is leading in whatever organization they are. Listen to those people, mentor, connect, encourage, and then bring it together. Bring it together around the patient. And then we can really make a difference for individuals. You know, you, earlier in the program, you talked about the need for more resources and encouragement for people to head into these STEM roles at all levels. What do you think about innovation in the area of artificial intelligence, which, you know, brings privacy issues into play and, and other things into play, but that can be very proactive in looking for patterns and uh, identifying people early that may be candidates or potential problems that they may have. Do you think that's something that the government should fuel and fund? Or do you think that's something that uh, is a little scary? Well, having done this for IBM and I launched Watson Health, that was part of the initial work that we did around artificial intelligence. There's no question you can reduce the amount of time from diagnosis to a, a care protocol and hopefully uh, being able to help an individual. So time is always a question that you're faced with, whatever it might be in, in, in healthcare. And artificial intelligence does step in with a level of confidence to reduce the time to help someone. And I think as long as we continue to be focused on being able to reduce the time to have a sense of accuracy with a level of security for the individual. I think we will always have a home for a conversation on artificial intelligence. Uh, I think people's mind will wander about artificial intelligence um, and, and probably rightfully so over time. The question is though, how do you put it to use? And I've seen some of the best organizations, uh, healthcare organizations, do a wonderful job of using artificial intelligence to have a level of speed and accuracy to diagnosis and then treatment and protocol and helping a patient uh, be able to have a good quality of life. So I, I believe that there's a wonderful place for artificial intelligence. It's not easy. 
uh, it takes a fair amount of time to set it up to have it be accurate and precise. Uh, but when used appropriately, I think it does a wonderful job of, of helping populations with certain disease conditions get to a really good outcome. Dan, your career and success have truly been inspirational. Your work on healthcare uh, is, is where we'd all like to see it go, at least I would. Um, any pearls of wisdom you would have for that next generation? I know you have kids. Um, I have four. Uh, you know, either to your 22-year-old self or your uh, uh, your your daughters. Uh, you know what they you wish you knew at that age. Well, thank you for for asking me. Um, I I do think that that sense of purpose in what makes you get up every day uh, ma- makes a difference. And I believe that we need to educate our children uh, about healthcare and be able to help them understand things that are important. For instance, uh, vaping, smoking, uh, different things that might be tested along the way, a level of education, of introduction into primary care and in, 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 in the friendly face of a doctor that is there to help you, not because you're sick, but to help you be well, that level of education. And then last but not least, I want to go back to listening. How important is it that our the parents listen today? How many things are influencing our children that we never saw, that we may never see? they are influencing our next generation. Can we listen? Can we ask questions? Can we better understand? And then help them navigate through this very challenging journey that they're on of of life and have them have a quality of life where they can contribute to society and they can be all that they can be and make a difference each and every day. And I think that starts with us all doing a better job of listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Dan Polino. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable advice. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you, and I wish all your listeners good health. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.